Come on, try some. It's called Chasing the Dragon. The Chinese have been doing it for centuries. I probably shouldn't, but... But you must. Huh? If you do it, it will make you feel as though the rest of the world is in a bubble of glass and you are rubbing up against it like a bad windshield wiper. I'll do it anyway. Episode 99 of the Cult of Matt and Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. Make sure to hit our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. Show news. Got any show news this week? Have we received any email lately? Email? Email from who? I don't know. From our loyal listeners. Uh, no, I have not. Not not recently. Uh, due to our erratic release schedule, I was expecting a little bit more uh, fanboy, where the hell are you guys, email, mm-hmm. but uh, I haven't been getting those. So I think uh, it's because we're completely satisfying our listening public. <laughs> well, we did give them a little bit of a bonus with a, a lengthy hour and a half Big Lebowski podcast a last b- week. A b- 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 bonus? Well, about a half of that, about 45 minutes of that was some unintelligible political chit-chat. Oh, man, did I go off on a jag? I don't know. I apologize to the listeners. They, they I didn't even listen to it this that. week. <laughs> you were just like so sick of it. <laughs> Matt, Matt and his socialist bullshit. I'm not fucking listening to it. Fuck that shit. Yeah. Matt and the Pope sitting in a tree. Oh. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. As I say, the Pope's dope. I, I'm almost going to become a Catholic. I don't know. I, I, the you whole, might like it. I mean... Uh, you got you got to become one of those ca- cannibals. You got to be pretty serious about the. Uh, I know. See, if I didn't, ha- I I could be a, I'd be I'd be a great Catholic if I didn't have to believe in God or Jesus Christ as my savior. I think I could do everything else. Yeah, if you didn't have to believe in transubstantiation, whoa, of the host, exactly. Um, I think you'd be fine. You have to actually believe that the wafer that you're given is no metaphor, no allegory, no symbol is. The body of Christ, which seems really bizarre. I don't quite understand it because there's some factory cranking out uh, communion wafers. Well, they, they, they don't cut. They don't get shipped as the body of Christ. They're converted to the body of Christ on the day they're given out as communion. They're, they're, there's a process. I'm not sure it's a prayer or something that changes them into the body of Christ. Have they put those under uh, like an electron microscope to watch the dissolving and, and uh, reappearing of each molecule? I'm pretty sure Vatican City's only really interested in astronomy as far as science goes. I yeah. don't think they have a, a, a scanning electron microscope. Well, Pope Francis was a chemist, I guess, just like yourself. Oh, yeah. really? I didn't yeah, know yeah. that. He's a man of science. You sure he wasn't just a pharmacist? Sometimes people <laughs> call them chemists in other countries. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, He was Dr. Feelgood down there in Argentina. He was uh, whipping up the locals some... Some, some fine prescription medication. He gives a whole nother meaning to the opium of the masses. <laughs> Speaking of drug use this week, our film is the 1994 Killing Zoe, or Zoe. It's never resolved in the film. Just uh, Julie Delpy 
uh, has that line, but we don't really know. I don't well, know. Except that you... everybody calls her Zoe, even the French people afterwards. Oh, okay. All right. Well, and then there's Zoe Dachanel, but that's with a Y, correct? I think, the Z- I think Zoe may be a shortening of it. Okay. Sort of right. like you might call somebody Pete, whose name is Peter. So Zoe, I guess, is the Greek goddess of life. Uh, I read you mean Zoe? Name. Zoe. Z-O-E, whatever that is. So the whole title is an oxymoron. At least that's what I'm led to believe. I don't know if that's uh, true. Or not. Well, it's an oxymoron for more than just for more for readings more than just that. Yeah. Well, there's a lot going on there. Okay. Plot rundown. Uh, Zed, played by Eric Stoltz, a safe cracking expert fresh out of prison, travels to France to participate in a robbery planned by his friend Eric, Jean Hughes Anglade. But first, Zed decides to indulge in some relaxation with a gorgeous, kind-hearted prostitute by the name of Zoe, or Zoe, played by Julie Delpy. This Edel, I-D-Y-L-L, do you know what that word is? I do not. Okay, anyway, I th- this Edel, however, is interrupted by Eric, who leads Zed and the other criminals on a long night of drinking, drugging, and debauchery. The next day, the thieves find themselves hungover and exhausted, and the plan soon goes disastrously wrong, turning into a hostage situation. Even worse for Zed, he discovers that the lovely Zoe also works as a teller at the bank, forcing him into a tricky moral dilemma. So, uh, first time viewing for Mark, do you have any thoughts? Oh, you know... It had uh, I'm I guess since uh, the director Avery, yeah, most is given the screenwriting and the directing credit. I'm not sure where uh, Quarantino got his hands in here, but his stank is all over this movie. Well, let's see. Uh, writer and director Roger Avery, best known as a co-screenwriter of Pulp Fiction, creates a similar combination of black comedy. So I guess just that circle running in that circle of of uh i don't know nascent film writers back in the early 90s he he was a friend or an acquaintance of quentin tarantino and you know that's why i thought this movie had a very early 90s stink or stank as you say to it and uh i don't know i think it does but I, i think you're right i really enjoyed the first half of this film quite a bit it's really i think i think it's pretty well put together even though the whole arc of the movie sort of seems to sort of careen out of control, which maybe was the point of the screenplay. Well, it's weird because movies like this, I was thinking of this, like you you mentioned, it has a a part one and a part two. They're very distinct. Yeah. And it kind of reminded me of another kind of uh, Quentin Tarantino acquaintance is Robert Rodriguez is from Dust Till Dawn, which has a really, I guess, segregated first half. And then the second half is a vampire flick inside an ancient Aztec tomb uh, or a, or truck stop or whatever the hell it is there at the end. And so this movie, yeah, but, but it's it's this one's a little bit more tied into it because they're getting ready for the heist and the first part is that of it. is that what you call what they did? Get ready for a heist? <laughs> Planning a heist. Well, he does unroll the map of the bank at one point he just roll it out on the bed or something and then they kind of go through the plan a little bit they did spend they spent a full solid five ten minutes going over the the plan and saying what safe is that is like oh okay if we go through that door i can uh you know i can go uh i guess get at the 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 other safe a lot easier or something like that so i mean that was that was the whole idea it is uh it is an interesting movie i mean eric stoltz is always fun to watch uh and I think he 
inhabits his character really well in this film. Uh, even though he's sort of a, he's a little bit of a weak man, is he not? Well, I think, I, for starters, reading the plot rundown, I didn't realize he was fresh out of prison. I don't recall that. Uh, I don't know anywhere in there where they state that. Uh, yeah, but, so uh, that Maybe one... I could have missed it. Maybe that's why he was out of, uh, why he had been divorced and hated his ex-wife. Maybe that's why he had been out of contact with some of his criminal buddies uh, in okay. Europe for uh, 15 years. Maybe. Uh, if, if that was the reason, you've seen it multiple times, um, or maybe it's, um, maybe there's some aside that we just missed. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I don't remember that feature, and I've seen this movie plenty of times. So maybe that's if, where he got that sort of poorly done black flag tattoo on his uh, left <laughs> shoulder, or, or is that some other type of tattoo? No, I, I was, I was following you too, because black flag tattoos were pretty common in the early '80s amongst the punk rock set, you know, the hardcore punkers. So I don't know if that was Eric Stoltz' <coughs> actual tattoo. It looked like it was kind of drawn on him with a sharpie and there were some letters below it and there's not normally any letters below the black flag symbol and plus the bars didn't seem to be in the correct positions i hesitate to guess maybe it's something else yeah maybe uh the, it would be say black flag if it would say anything <laughs> well you know you don't want to be too obvious with your tattoos otherwise you might be thrown out of the hipster club uh, you know i i always dabble with the idea of getting a tattoo how about you oh yeah not really. You know, I don't know what the thing is with piercings and tattoos. It seems like anybody uh under 30 is just got, they got uh they got their they got their uh, you know, nipples pierced and they got uh yeah. they got they got, you know, a nose piercing, even like the straight up kids and they got a couple of tats. I guess it's weird how it's become such a I wonder if we had uh you know, maybe if we were about 15 years younger, if we would be all tatted up and I would have a couple of gauges in my ears with corks in them. <laughs> because well, I, it seems like everybody, even even like the kids that you know, like you see them, you know, I see a lot of, you know, like early 20-year-olds that are on their path to become tenured professors. Yeah. They're all tatted up with uh, lip piercings. <laughs> and these kids are, they're smart kids. You know, they're a lot smarter than me and they're on the, they're on the track, they're in grad school. But yeah. they're still all pierced up. It's It's really weird. Well, I forget. I was like at some. I wasn't in the city. I was out in the country. I don't know. I, I wasn't in a place where you'd expect it. But there was some kid, and he had those tribal disc things in his ear. You know those those big the gauges. Fucking, yeah, the big gauges. And and I just I just was looking at that, and that it didn't. You know, I think growing up in the '90s, seeing the tribal body mod crap kind of run its course it you know i think in the 80s it used to throw me when i'd see a kid with like an ear piercing but now i mean you know unless some guy has his, his wiener split and like fucking prince alberts and shit hanging off of it and but you never you know, see that no 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 but like you know tattoos running all the way across his forehead and stuff i'm not gonna really pay that much attention to it i'm just like oh yeah you know i i kind of say think to myself is that a good tattoo or a bad tattoo well i remember all the old tattoo freaks from the early 1900s they would get their body all tattooed up but like about three inches up from the wrist and then like a v-neck for like a button-up shirt would be totally untouched so they could uh you know put a suit on and nobody would ever know they had tats on but now you see people with you know tats running up to under their ears and you really can't make any judgment uh based on those people all all types of people have uh have neck tattoos now although i've heard this if you're a gaijin even 
and you have tattoos that show, and I don't know, like, you know, on your wrist or out in the open, and you go to Japan, you are persona non grata. I guess they they just don't want anything to do with you, even if you're a white guy. Well, yeah, it's, well, that's Japan. That's a, It's a different thing. They well, have a different I know, but still. Tattoos, but not in the U.S., you, no, you not do yourself a disservice to judge people based on their tattoos, as long as they don't have a swastika across their well, forehead. Everybody or fucking has them, so I can't really do anything. Well, there's no point. I mean, yeah, it's kind of stupid. There's very uh, intelligent and uh, responsible people that are all tattooed up. It's just, I, don't know, I think it just it blew up, and then it just sort of was consumed into standard operating procedure for youths. So I had an idea if I was going to get a tattoo, I would go for like a full fucking warbird from like shoulder to shoulder, a dragon, something just gigantic that would consume my back entirely. I was consume like, oh, your bloodstream with sepsis. Exactly. I would just go the full fucking tattoo. I wouldn't fuck around with like a, anything like a woody woodpecker on my shoulder or anything. I'd, I'd get the well, full fucking like crazy ass shoulder to shoulder down the spine up to the neck crazy tattoo. Well, that's fine. The thing is you got to go find a good tattoo artist. I know. Yeah. And you might want to get a couple smaller pieces first and get comfortable with a guy. No, no, man. Before you, go, before you get a full <laughs> sleeve put on. Get, get a full weeping infected fucking. <laughs> well, I'm not worried about the infection so much. I'd be more worried about shitty art. Oh, man. you got to imagine. Some... It's tough. I mean, there's one show on TV, the, uh, what's it called, Ink Master? Yeah. It's, you know, it's your standard reality schlock in a lot of ways, you know, with, you know, sort of edited together conflicts of personalities. But the one thing I like about the show is, in the end of the day, it's really about tattoo artists tattooing on people. And so you can't really edit um, the show so somebody does a bad tattoo. Either they do a good or they do a bad tattoo. And uh, so it's uh, it's pretty impressive what people can do with skin, and it's also pretty dismaying what people who have years of experience can do at the same time. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So even no, people no. who do like one great tattoo, their next tattoo will look like ass. So <laughs> you know you got to get the right guy, and he has to be consistent, and uh, you got to catch him on the right day. Uh, no tattoos for me. I probably won't get one. Maybe I'll get like just some uh, overly corny tattoo of my daughter like across my back or something <laughs> uh, <laughs> like mexican yeah. guys who just got out of prison or something you know something crazy like that so knock yourself uh, out man <laughs> so uh the beginning part of the movie is just kind of uh that's quite a sex scene isn't it you know this is the only movie i can think of where you see julie delpy's boobs no that's not true i'm They'd not really f- familiar with judy delpy but you've seen like the red white and blue films and a yeah. few other things and i'm i'm not familiar with her as an actress pretty much at all she was kind of the the go-to french actress in the 90s like if you had something a little mainstream and you needed to sex it up with some you know, a uh, French hottie. You would throw Julie Delpy in there. She had an indie edge. Uh, she was in one, yeah, one of the Kozlowski movies, White, uh, which is a good movie. And she was in that. And then she was in the Before Sunset, Before Sunrise, Link Letter movies. And then she was in this. And I forget what else she's been in. But uh, yeah, it was pretty she, hot when she when you, could, you had the point of view from. Uh, from Zed looking up at her while she's on top of him. I just very, very, very um, what's the right word? Um, it's very erotic. And but the one thing I 
can't quite figure out why are they cutting in scenes from Nosferatu at the same time? I mean, it's on the TV, <laughs> but I thought maybe because they had a they had a um, like a shot of like a, a Venus flytrap that somehow Zed was going to be entrapped by Zoe, but it's not really how the film went. I guess I'm not really sure. Other than it's sort of cool to have the macabre and the sexy at the same time. Do you have any sense of why that was the case? Uh, you know, after a review of the original Nosferatu, I didn't bring anything to the table with regard to that. That that maybe it's just a juxtaposition. I don't know. You know, maybe it's just kind of a. Uh, it seems like a bunch of styles signifying nothing to a certain extent. Yeah, it's a little postmodern. I, I, I give it its due. It did it have an evoking effect? I kind of thought it did. I didn't really know what it meant. Didn't yeah, really care. My pants. <laughs> but uh, it, it was really. It took a nice turn with the. Uh, the pillow talk after the sex. All men and women feed together. Hell, even some men feed together. And that's the yeah. first of the homosexual overtones in this movie. Some oh, of them really? are not even overtones. They're just blatant homosexual elements. Uh, uh, I, I didn't focus in on that. So what, you didn't what? focus in on the homosexuality in this film? Well, we got a lot no. to talk about that. Yeah, I guess we got a lot to talk about. So I assume you're talking about... Uh, Eric and Zed's uh, relationship. Is that what you're talking about? No, not Eric and Zed. It's morally, it's mostly about Eric. There's several things that have sort of these uh, homosexual overtones. Uh, one of the first ones is um, when they're in the car after they all get high uh, the night before the heist, uh, they go by where the male prostitutes hang out. You remember that scene? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Eric tells uh, Zed to uh, yell at them in French that, uh, you know, you come and suck my cock or something along that line. Okay. And it's interesting that uh, uh, Eric is really interested in these male homosexuals. And then when things get really crazy that night after they go to the jazz bar, there's a scene where Eric Stoltz, and he's pretty much just blacking out, but he comes to just for a moment after he throws him to a urinal in some filthy bathroom. Oh, that's and, right. Uh, Eric's fucking and Eric's ramming fucking some dude in the guy. ass. He's, having, uh. he's fucking a guy. That's right. Yeah, you know what? I actually had to to rewind that part because I was like, I I wasn't paying really close attention, and then I was like, wait, wait a minute. Did, I think it f- was. I think he was had a sexual relationship with one of the guys in the group. I think it might have been sort of the young, uh, sort of Latino or Mediterranean looking fellow that okay. was in the group, the smaller guy. And uh, it's interesting. He has another comment near the crescendo of the uh, movie. Never let a girl come between two men. What, what did he just say? He says, never let a girl come between two men. Mm, wow. Well, there he a has. a of it there. See, he admitted that he had AIDS, but he didn't. I assumed it was because he was an IV drug user, right? I mean, Hold was it. That, he, who admitted he had AIDS? Eric. Oh, he says he has AIDS at one time? I mean, I yeah, remember well, him warning uh, Zed not to have sex with prostitutes because he might catch AIDS. I know. I thought, I thought like, they were. They, that's why he's so. It kind of explains his uh, why just his actions loose. at the end because he's just like a, a fucking dead ender. He's just uh, um, has no uh, reality injected into their escape plan at a certain point. He just wants to, you know, kind of do something uh, great. Yeah, do something great and ogle the gold, even though it's you can't ever leave with it. Just you know, he's in the moment. It's because I thought he really has the moment. I well, that makes sense. He's car. an IV drug user. 
and he's a gay, and he has gay sex in dirty bathrooms. Oh, God, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Not the gay sex part, the dirty bathroom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, hey, people having sex yourself. in bathrooms? I know. Oh, Jesus. I hate, I mean, oh, I'll tell you one thing that bugs me. This happened to me the other day. People at work, after lunch, who brushed their teeth oh, dude. in the men's Amen. room. Amen, brother. That, that to me, the smell of, of uh, like, somebody taking a dump. Which, oh, God. Which, Mixed and, all, and, and all office bathrooms, especially if they have multiple stalls, just you never get the faint stank of stool out of the place. Right. And and there's always that like kind of nauseous, heavy, humid stench of, of, of a dump, a, you know, a phantom dump. Or just that's piss, stale piss. Right. Or stale Even in piss. clean bathrooms. Just another aside. One of the bathrooms, like the uh, the 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 flusher on the urinal, doesn't really work that well, and so it kind of builds up the urine, even though it kind of like trickles out of the drain pipe. Oh yeah. You know, I went in there and it fucking smelled like a faux restaurant. Like, and then I got so grossed out. Like, I have a hard time with faux restaurants now. It totally ruined me. Like, it smelled like a faux restaurant. I don't know what the combo of broth and I just it made me want to gag. Look, I don't trust Vietnamese people to make me food. <laughs> well, I'm a racist okay. bastard. That's all I got to say. Make, they make pretty good fucking. They have good bakeries, though, man. You should well, really. I guess there's that. We well, can't really mess with food. It comes out of the oven sterile, right? <laughs> I don't want some slowly steeping pot of uh, of uh, of you know. Oh well. Anyways, yeah, it just grosses me out. People sitting there. I'm taking a waz, and they're just going. They got a big mouth of foam, oh, and they're just rocking. So gross, it. I'm thinking. So are your teeth gross. so brittle? That you can't brush your teeth in the morning and brush your teeth in the, at night at home without them falling out. It just blows my mind. It's it, To me, it's the cloying odor of, of minty Colgate coupled with the, the humid stench of a fresh turd floating around. <laughs> and I'm like, this is the grossest thing ever. It makes it's What are these? And I, I, I feel like the fuckers brushing their teeth have this smug air about them. Like they're either saving time or they're into dental health or, and it's just like, for starters, you got to set your shit down on oh. the countertop. And that's you can imagine splashed. what dirty, filthy hands have been touching that sink. Who got oh. shit all over their hand accidentally? <laughs> you had to wash it off in the very sink, you're ru- the very faucet you're running your fucking toothbrush under. Oh, just thinking about it. makes <laughs> I get so herpy when I'm in a bathroom with somebody brushing their teeth. It makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah, yeah, I have a few pet peeves, and one of them at work, and one of them is uh, clipping the fingernails at the desk. I, I just it happens more often than I would have thought possible. Fuckers clipping their fingernails at the desk, sending them uh, launching over the cubicle wall. Well, it is the clicking. It's just I, I I can just see just this. I just imagine this pile of shitty, dirty fingernail clippings piling up in front of the keyboard. How about toenail then, clippings? Uh, and then uh, microwave popcorn. When some fucker, I call them bo- microwave popcorn bombs. They, they they cook up some microwave popcorn in the microwave, and it just stinks up the cubicles. Just fucking foul. And brushing your teeth in the bathroom. It's oh. Just just unexcusable. That's the worst one. I think it's just <laughs> that fucking is terrible. terrible. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> and I'm glad I found somebody. Uh, nobody ever seems to care about it. But no, boy, it I totally nuts. care about it. I'm I'm like, well, the other one. I have a bunch of them, but I, I'm kind of, you know, I'm a shameful uh, shitter. Like, I don't like 
uh, to be in a very crowd, unless it's super crowded, like an airport bathroom. I can yeah. go in and take what are you it because there's just so much white noise of flatulence and and airport noise that it's okay. But like you know those two three stall. Uh, um, four stall bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Like I go in and I go to the end. I always go to each one of the ends. Oh yeah. I was, like, I was like, I don't fucking you know go. I need a wall. I need at least some barricade that I know <laughs> that I won't be you know hemmed in by shitters. And so I go over, and then I hear some fucker go in. And I've done the timing. It's like okay, like I sit down in an empty bathroom. It's like I've done the average. I got about three minutes to 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 you know, really work on this dump and then, you know, just kind of have a refractory period afterward and that's cool and get out of there. And then some fucker comes in and they go to the stall right next to me. I'm mm-hmm. like, can't, I mean, what the they fuck? Just let, they, don't, they don't even put an ass gasket on. <laughs> they just sit right down. They don't even wipe it off just in case somebody dribbled urine off. They sit oh, yeah, right and, down and then just bazooka shit out. <laughs> and then, you know, like, Ugh. I'm like, do you have no shitting shame? Some people I, I, just don't care, man. Who the fuck are they? I mean, I, no, I don't know. You know, it's a very modern sensibility. I mean, you look at old bathrooms in the in the historical world, and even in the third world now, they're just they're open. I remember looking at some some uh, rebuild some Roman era bathrooms, and these guys knew their plumbing and shit, and they were just a bunch of holes lined up, just enough room for each like airplane seats. You'd be yeah. rubbing up against the buttock of the guy next to you, crapping through a hole, and and that was the that was the pinnacle of of toilet technology. Well, I understood. Yeah, but now, like, you go to Europe, you get a little room. You get a little room. You get, like, your own closet, man, your own private uh, toilet room. It's beautiful. They've, they've come they, – they're so much more civilized over there. Uh, like, our friend Ellie comes over here, and it's just fucking horrified by the public restrooms. It's like, why don't they go all the way to the floor? And I was like, to humiliate and disgust you. <laughs> That's why they fucking don't They allow the, 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 heavy, the heavier than air stank to roll out through the entire bathroom. So if you're a senator from Minnesota, you can cruise for gay sex in, just, in hey one man, of the airport you just bathrooms. just a wide stance. Don't give them a hard time. <laughs> but, yeah, no, doing some guy – I mean, doing having any kind of sexual inca- – romantic – I would call it sex erotic encounter in a public restroom is just does it doesn't click with me. I I, I can't even think. Man, man you got to be hard up. I guess you got to really be hard up for 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 that. So anyway, so uh, about thirty minutes into the movie, actually not that far. Uh, Eric and by, Eric comes by and fucking kicks Zoe out of the apartment, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> then, you have, then you have the whole scene where we meet the guys. What about fucking bunch of losers? <laughs> well, they're not very disciplined. I, you don't know. Well, what was their deal? They have some kind of political jag, right? They're kind of anarchists, or they're. Well, I think they in, used to be uh, like socialist uh, bombers. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So they had like a kind of terrorist edge to them, at and they're the sort beginning. of living up on in an attic space. I mean, yeah. God, when they're walking into the apartment, you remember the scene. This cat dead? Yeah, right. <laughs> There's a fucking dead cat on the ground. They just don't care. The thing is that they're they're really heroin addicts is what they are. Well, right. Yeah, because so, everybody, I mean, they go in there and, and it's like, oh, we're doing heroin. You up for it? <laughs> it kind of goes back to our train spotting conversation where we're. Uh, if you know, would there be ever a casual opportune time to try heroin? And, and since I'm, go ahead. And, and these guys are like ter- ex-terrorists. You know, they they've killed people. They made bombs. 
So they're sort of going to the uh, lowest common denominator of their mutual skills in order to, you know, try to find some way out of their uh, incessant poverty. Very dangerous right. drug addicts. Uh, yeah, right. And uh, <laughs> that fucking cat scene. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> we were, uh, we were, um, where were we? Up in Bellingham, and there's that boardwalk down by the water. And uh, there was this dead seal, like, uh, floating stomach side up. You know, it was it was belly up, literally belly up out there in the bay. And we were walking by. I was like, oh, look at that dead seal. And Rose was just like, oh, I think he's sleeping. <laughs> and, <that> was, <laughs> I was like, and then I was like, yeah, he's sleeping. That's it. <laughs> we just kept walking. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good enough thing to believe. You know, we'll just move on with our day. <laughs> uh, what are you going to do? Find its, find its loved ones. Uh, so the drug-fueled night of uh, the conspirators, um, the way it was filmed, I thought, was... was Like, there was that scene where, you know, it, it devolves throughout the night, but they're at the Dixie Dixieland Club, and uh, Zed's really playing it out. On, on the heroin and he starts to see little notes come out of the jazz musicians up front, yeah, that was which is, weird which is pretty 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 crazy and then that prostitute or whatever the hell she is uh comes up there and starts pitching to him you know about like oh my man beats me and it's like you can take me home and you can you know beat me up and you can shit on my chest yeah shit on the chest (laughs) and it was so hazy and distorted you almost felt a little high watching it like i almost felt like she was talking to him but the translation we see is sort of like a delirium that uh zed is feeling and that's what he thinks she's saying yeah but it's an effective use of i don't know distortion uh cinematic distortion that i think i've seen this movie so many times that i've probably seen it saw it high at one point or drunk or something and i just remember that scene really enhancing uh whatever inebriation i had going like oh yeah okay that's crazy it's almost it almost makes me feel like i'm i'm zoning out a little bit yeah he really i guess i just don't quite understand i guess he just must have been desperate zed because why else would he get together with this group of fuck-ups? I mean, maybe he could have realized when he noticed they were all heroin addicts and that uh, they were not really carefully planning their their bank heist. Maybe he could have found a way to exercise himself from what was almost certainly a doomed endeavor. He must yeah, have been he, really desperate. He could have, like, woken up a little bit early and just ran out of that fucking... Uh, not the way he was fucked up. He barely woke up at all. <laughs> but um, it's just, it's really interesting. Um, I, I guess I just don't quite understand that character in a way. It may be a shortcoming of the screenplay that the character yeah. is sort of not a well, realistic he's a, person. He's a cool cat, right? I mean, yeah, he's he so has... cool at the beginning of the film. You don't get the sense of desperation from him. Yeah. Uh, right. And. I mean, maybe maybe he's lackadaisical about reality. I guess the movie's not really terribly anchored to reality. Well, the character just doesn't totally make sense to me. I think you know, I I, I have such anxiety issues, and uh, I would never be a good criminal. It just it's never going to work out for me. I, I I have too much 
uh, worry in me to, to ever be able to keep my cool before a criminal endeavor, let alone during the criminal endeavor. And I think why I liked this movie is because maybe the Zed character isn't really all that um, likable or three-dimensional. But he has a coolness about him that uh, I envy. And not that it's realistic or not, but even, you know, he gets off the plane and he has sort of that witty conversation with the Parisian cab driver there, you know, where yeah, Moses, uh, yeah, sets him up he with Zoe sets him up with Zoe. And then like the way that he handles the whole, you know, uh, prostitute scene, like, well, he, uh, had, he, he's made it his life to be with prostitutes. They talk about well, how he's how often he's seen a prostitute. I think your hundredth prostitute, you take it pretty easy, <laughs> especially if she's a super hottie and you can't believe it. Where did you get that? I didn't get that he was like a, a oh a, after a uh, after John. Eric uh, sends out uh, <laughs> kicks Zoe out nude, <laughs> um, and Eric Stoltz does nothing because he's too cool of a cat. I, I know that's anything. the thing. It's like wouldn't you be freaking out? It's like oh my god, that chick that's was how totally cool hot. Cat he is he just had a bit of a connection with her, and, and this fucker who I haven't seen in twelve years, high on something because he's all sweaty, throws her out into the hallway with no clothes on. I'd be like, hey, and he goes, hey, I liked her, and then that was kind of the, the yeah, end of the his thing protest. Is he's sort of a dollard, even though he knows how to crack safes. He's just sort right. of a. I don't know what it is. He just doesn't react to things. It's like he's on drugs naturally. But uh, yeah. they talk about, he talks, oh, come on, man. You just got in town and you were supposed to meet me and you're having a, you're, you know, fucking a, a prostitute already, man. You and prostitutes. Shit. Oh, okay. And they talk All a right. little, they briefly talk about his his love of prostitutes. And some guys, especially if you're traveling around and you're a criminal and you have a lot of cash, uh, it's, you know, sort of like being a trucker. Sort well, of, it's sort of something to pass the time, especially when you live too much of a vagabond lifestyle to have a true relationship. Well, it's like one of those things when when you're a drug addict and you're in a strange town, you know how to sniff out where you're going to get the drugs. You can kind of eyeball the scene, you know, who's connected, you don't, you know, you, you're careful, but you just have sort of a sixth sense about uh, where you can score. And so maybe if you're like... Yeah, backpage.com. <laughs> Before all that shit, you know, in the early nineties, oh, man, 92. when we had when we had to get online using Prodigy, I mean, in yeah, American Online. Navigator running. Oh, I didn't even have that at home. I had like some fucking pixelated, uh, shitty web browser using Prodigy. It was horrible. There was probably somewhere in there where you hook up with a prostitute. <laughs> if I if I had anything to guess about it, somewhere. So yeah, he he's able to go. You know, he's able to figure out what Moses is getting at. And he's like, oh yeah, send her on over. You know, and so he can't believe his fortune when she finally shows up. But yeah, he doesn't give a shit, and she gets tossed out. And uh, you know, he kind of just rides along that whole evening of of drug fueled mania. Yeah, where gets, I would, he, 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 you could tell he doesn't do drugs normally, no. especially not yeah. heroin. He smokes it. I don't know if he may inject it at some point. He's doing pills. Yeah, right. Fuck. <laughs> he he opens that little case with the three pills in it, and he's just like, "No, it's like, oh, no, God, take it." No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just uh, I just oh, the idea of like somehow getting involved with fucking people like that. Oh God, that just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Well, I've been you've been in rooms with people with crazy edges to them, like unpredictable edges. I have, yeah. You know, I, I've been uh, I won't name names, but I've been around some folks that, uh, you know, um, 
have have a complete disregard for uh, drinking and driving, enjoy firearms and uh, drug use. And you're like in kind of their element in their sort of manic world for a little bit. And you're kind of captive. You're like, you know, I kind of want to get out of the car right now. I don't really want to be here. And so you find, you know, that if you protest, uh, you'll kind of expose your weakness and they'll just, they'll just, they'll just kind of jam like wolves. Oh yeah. No, they'll, they'll totally, they'll totally just make your life miserable for the, for the brief time you're imprisoned with them. Basically like that character. And these people are like that character in blue velvet. What's his name? Um, Oh, Frank Booth. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I mean, he's not afraid, like he's actually trying to enjoy himself crazily. In, in, in I think that. maybe he's he's been a criminal long enough where he knows that this is sort of the type of fuck ups you end up getting put with, and it's best right. just to ride it out if you have to. But these are the people that you're relying on to cover your ass while you're cracking safes, and you know he 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 seems to have trepidation, but he's too high and fucked up to really build up any sort of nerve to eject himself. So he's like, uh, okay, and then they get up and like, okay, let's go, let's go, like fucking take out this bank. And, so uh, when they go to do the bank job, why do they shoot Ron Jeremy right off the bat? <laughs> it's fucking hilarious, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I, I was I watched this movie the first time, and if you if you know porn, if you're a guy, let's just say it. If you're a guy, and you like you know, gay porn, <laughs> Ron Jeremy's never. Oh yeah, he started out in gay porn. Is that really most most male porn actors do? I know they do, but I I didn't know that Ron. I think he was strictly a top, so you know that's sort of on the line of gay. Oh, okay, all right. But uh, if you know porn, he's prison gay. (laughs) No, John Jeremy. By the way, he has his own collection of rum. I was at the liquor store the other day. Alcohol is the way to go if you have any sort of lick of celebrityism. For guys, you do alcohol. For women, you do perfumes. What is with that? That's the big cash in. It's fucking weird. Like guys like to drink, and women like to put on perfume. And they're like both expensive S- fluids that are cheap Sammy, to make. Sammy Hagar has his uh, like in Cabo Wabo shitty tequila. Uh, Dan Aykroyd has his uh, vo- Skull Vodka collection. Have you seen that? Look, and, when I think uh, of fine vodka, first thing I think of is Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> you don't think of Vladimir Putin because that's who I think of. Or Boris Yeltsin, actually. I think more about Boris. When I'm I mean, I could, but you know, I'm American, man. <laughs> I mean... Uh, if it wasn't for my country, it'd all be speaking German. <laughs> I put on my shorts and my um, American flag T-shirt, and I, I go buy my uh, vodka from uh, Dan Aykroyd. And so, uh, uh, oh, and Adam Carolla has his uh, line of uh, fucking uh, Mangria. F- yeah, it's like what it fortified wine or something like that. So I think you've refer- returned to uh, listen to the Adam Carolla show. No, right? I have not. I, I've stopped, but I'm just saying. That he does. Uh, Have you ever he had does it? Pimp that shit, man. I could just go get. Isn't it basically like Mad Dog? I mean, that's kind of what it seems like he's selling. Uh, so. I think it's like fruit juice uh, and like orange, some sort of or- reduced orange juice and uh, vodka. Yeah. Okay. All right. And probably wow. some spices and some sugar. Mm, Make no. down easy. Right. Wino fuel. That guy's really making good. millions off that though. Millions. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. So Ron is in competition with uh, his own rum, which uh, I find interesting. Some of these out there uh, scoring the Ron Jeremy uh, rum. What's he called? Yeah. I don't know. You could just look up Ron Jeremy and Call rum. it like the Angry Beaver. 
<laughs> so yeah, Ron's in it for what was a he, split was he second. The, what was what was his nickname? It wasn't the Beaver? It was like the oh the Hedgehog, the Hedgehog, yeah, Hedgehog <laughs> Brand Rum. So he must have been friends with somebody in the film, and uh, it's like okay, we'll put Ron in, he'll get blown away, and it'll be all great. So put a couple of squibs in under his shirt and. Uh, it was a fun little scene. I was pretty, I was pretty impressed. I just saw it was Ron him. Jeremy. It was yeah. sort of hilarious. Right, right. So back to the Zed character. I, the The coolness of Zed, I think, was is and it was part of the early '90s kind of scene uh, with with these indie actors. You know, kind of up in the cool level, redefining the cool. And uh, he definitely emulated all that. He had the well, look. He's cool in the original sense of cool, not in the. He's a hep cat that I want to emulate. He's cool no, no, in the no. sense that he's really just cool. So, he just is but, cold to what's going on around him. So, you know, going to do a bank heist, and he's kind of cool about it the whole time, or at least until he realizes that uh, everything's been fucked up upstairs, you know, and uh, he goes down there and he's cracking the safe. It's just kind of like a cool thing to do. Like safe cracking mm. seems like a fairly victimless crime. It takes some technical expertise, a little nerdiness. Some brains uh, of some elderly woman on the wall. <laughs> pretty standard. Standard procedure. Pretty cool stuff. Well, besides all that, you know, to, to be able to crack a safe, like how do you get into cracking safe? You'd have to have some kind of, uh, I guess, access to every safe that's out there to be able to practice on it and crack it. You it's kind of like- be mentored. I mean, maybe not today in, in the... Uh- digital age but i guess this whole set crack, safe cracking thing is probably not as important these days as it used to be you have to no. be like an elite black hat now right right so he has that sort of commando air about him which is one of the reasons i always liked heist movies you know they kind of have this uh sort of it's almost like a how-to guide uh, you know it's like uh you're watching the science channel or something there's yeah, like, i mean there's something about there's something about five leds they gotta light up in order <laughs> and the safe's crack. I'm well, sure see that's exactly that, how it's done. Yeah, and see all that stuff. Shit, all that stuff's really, really, really like all contrived. Uh, every safe cracking scene in every movie, I'm sure, is just uh, people speculating on what it would be like to crack safes. Like I was like in when they're doing digital hacking or cracking of codes and you see the the mechanism on the door and it's it's spinning through the leds and there's like nine leds and then like when it finds one it'll put that up there Mm. so you have sort of this this sequence of uh, numbers being so you know when the when the safe is finally cracked you know when all the numbers are up which is really how i doubt that safes are the combinations are cracked I think they're cracked all at once. You don't get like sequential numbers coming into play when you're doing that kind of thing. Uh, I don't really know. I mean, I think the reason they do it is it goes back to how tumblers are normally picked. You pick one tumbler at a time. Right, right. So that's what they're thinking of. It's not the most egregious sort of digital mumbo jumbo in, in films. My favorite, and if I see this again, I'm going to fucking lose it is when uh the criminal's trying to download a file or upload a file or something and uh the they got to get it all the way to 100 percent, or they don't get any of the file on their server they're uploading it to so the 
So the good guy comes in and like, you know, stomps on the laptop when it's like 99% upload and he's foiled their whole plan. <laughs> it fucking cracks me up. Oh, what we didn't get it. We had to have the whole file. If it doesn't, if you know, if we hash it and it's not right, we're going to throw it away. There's no way we could retrieve any of the secret information out of there. My favorite is when they're doing anything with like a physical building or a physical structure or a, even a vehicle. You always have to have it three-dimensionally rendered in whatever software application you're using. <laughs> You always yeah. like like okay I'm going to turn I'm going to turn like I have access to a security system in a building and I'm going to turn doors 1 through 5 on. Well you have to have a 3D wireframed building and you have to zoom through it and watch the doors like cartoons uh lock like little glowing red buttons, <laughs> you know. You have to have that whenever you're doing anything. Um, well, how else are you supposed to find correct. out what the, where the doors are? What are you going to do? Look at some sort of two-dimensional image? Man, doors aren't two-dimensional. I can't walk through a piece of paper. I went. I had a friend who was working at the VLA down in Socorro, New Mexico, which is the uh, uh, the big radio telescopes that were Why do featured. they call it the VLA? Very large array. Oh, okay. Uh, it was da- yeah, no. And it was, uh, this, it was where the movie Contact was filmed. With Jodie Foster. Oh, that's where Jodie Foster works. And so uh, I go take a tour of it, right? And I'm up there, and I'm walking around the control room, which overlooks the the desert and, and the, the telescopes and everything. And I'm looking around, and, like, the floor is shitty and coffee-stained, you know, carpet. Mm-hmm. Um, the computers are all these, like, ratty Weiss monitors, W-Y-S-E, some old, like, uh, terminal company, monochrome. You know, they had a a few really nice sun computers, but those were uh, for the visiting scientist to do data reduction on. Mm. And I'm like, hey, man, where's like all the computer screens with the the digitized telescopes swinging into alignment? (laughs) I was like, oh, well, they built the set. A uh, hundred yards away from this building, and then that's where they filmed all that shit. <laughs> so, if you ever seen the movie, it's like classic. Uh, they're doing real time science, and they have these gigantic monitors with mm. these wireframe uh, computer graphics of telescopes swinging up to the sky and stuff. And, well, you need that if you're going to take a measurement. You need you need to just eyeball a wireframe. Go, ah, it looks like it's pointed in the right direction. And then I go, and then I go there, and it looks like a fucking vax lab from 1990 you know it's just it's just ancient and crusty and out of date and you know it's all government money so it's 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 not state-of-the-art but i just cracked me up so movies always like to hype that up romanticize it and uh i guess for the safe cracking scene you got to give give it some like immediacy you know like oh he's almost there it's almost cracked i have, so, I have a feeling that the only is this true whenever you see a movie about like some high-powered wall street executive and his uh his office is all glass and uh, leather you know, and uh, you know, leather-bound books, and this, you know, there's some sort of crazy stairwell in there for no apparent reason. Just right. overlook a loft where he goes and ha- has cigars right. with his other high-powered exec buddies. Is that really the case, or is that so, must also be a misnomer? And some ridiculous piece of expensive Italian art, just for shits, you know, sitting out. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I, guessing I, most executives' uh, board uh, offices just have a fucking desk. And they I'm, may be nice and have a nice corner view, but uh, I doubt they. Uh, I just don't see how a public company could really justify spending a huge amount of money to appoint a bunch of executives' offices. Um, well, considering executives make I don't know obscene money uh, for what they do, I bet you they they, they probably cush it up quite a bit. You know? Oh, with their own money? 
No, no, no. I mean, they just, you know, it's yeah. it's we're paying this guy $30 million a year to make bad decisions, so we have to have a office that reflects that pay, hmm. you know. I wonder. Whatever. I wonder. I don't know. All right. So we're kind of spinning around with the movie. I, is There's not much of a point with it, uh, I guess. There's no real theme. Well, look, let's talk about on. the thing we've been pussyfooting around. All right, let's do it. Um, what is the deal with the romance? It's fucking totally <laughs> nonsensical. It makes This is the big problem with the movie, is that why is Zoe attracted to Zed? I mean, first off, I understand she's just physically attracted to him, and he's a good lay. That's fine. You get... You know, you have sex with somebody and you get these feelings of attachment. It's just part of the chemical process. It's part of pair bonding, the sexual thing. And maybe she really turns him on and maybe she really digs his cool persona. But after he lets his buddy throw her out nude, uh, he and all his buddies come in and kill half of her office mates. (laughs) Why would she have any sort of feelings? Why would would she want to protect him in any sort of way? It's... It's so nonsensical. It's just it. It sort of casts a terrible, like, pallor of rubbish across the entire film. I mean, what is this? I, I don't. I don't understand what they're trying to say here. This is just farcical. Well, it's it's kind of it's. I mean, obviously a, a fantasy, like a male fantasy, because uh, it's for sort starters, of a gross bro fantasy. A gr- I'm gross a safe what? cracker. You know, and I hang out with my continental friends, and we do drugs, and I fuck hookers, and you know, I get shot well, up, but I don't die, and I escape implausibly from the police. <laughs> I, I, I guess, is that it? Is that really it? Because it's pretty lame. Well, okay, so so assume like this, this: she'd only been on like five dates. Is that what they call hookups with prostitutes when you're a prostitute? A date? I'm going on a date. What, yeah, what are you talking so, about, Zoe? Well, yeah, She's been let's a prostitute say, for quite a while. She well, goes so far as to say that. Well, you don't know that. You don't know that she's been. Why would she you know, lie to him at that point during the pillow talk? She's being pretty well, honest she? with him. Does she? Does she say, oh, I've been with a million men? I thought she just like mentioned a few anecdotes of guys she's been with that she hadn't really. Uh, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, look, right. she's maybe just doing a few people a week. It sounds oh, like she does okay. some other gigs, but right. I don't think it's something like she's old. This is her sixth time having sex for money. Well, maybe she's an exotic fetishist, man. Maybe she's into American dudes. Well, you know? obviously she's broken. As well, broken okay. As, as broken as Zed, if, if yeah, this is a real right. case. Okay. And so she, from that brief encounter, realized that, that Eric is has control over Zed. I don't know. I mean, is there anything like uh, she could take his side during that no, there's, whole... There's no sense to be made of these characters' right. motivations. I don't see how you could possibly do it. It's just all... it's. It's just not not that I didn't enjoy the movie. I certainly did, and I enjoyed the performances. And uh, Delpy is certainly very beautiful to look at, but it doesn't really make sense in the end. Their Maybe right. Let alone all the other stuff, the heist business. Well, this movie only got thirty three percent, so I'm trying to figure out why I liked it so much. I, I think I, you just like the cool of it. I guess I liked it at the time. I mean, I, I, I like I like heist movies. Heist movies I find enjoyable. Maybe it's because it's like a police procedural, but on the flip side, you know, it's it's sort of a, a choreographed technical crime that uh, seems exciting, seems uh, you know high high, high stakes, uh, all that good stuff. Uh, the coolness of of. Zed, the fact that it took place in Paris, even though not a shred of footage was actually filmed in Paris, besides a few of the street scenes. Oh, I no, didn't know uh, that. 
Yeah, it wasn't really even filmed there. Uh, but the fact that it kind of had this sort of exotic location associated with it, I don't know. It just it just kind of hit me right at the time, and I enjoyed it because of that. And I still oh, enjoy it to this day. I and, had a good uh, time watching it. It just it's sort of nonsensical on a certain level, well, on, on right. the basic level. Yeah, and it's sort of, you know, sort of a character piece, and Eric is just crazy uh, madman that you – you're never bored with throughout the movie. I never got bored with his character at all because he was so unpredictable. So, well, I mean, Eric, yeah, I mean, he was he was a madman. I, I, the idea that he was had like a death sentence for Mage is interesting. Me as I overlooked that. Yeah, and the other characters were pretty two dimensional. They didn't really do anything. They didn't really have any identity, from what I could tell. So, you really had only three characters in this whole movie. Well, they're you a know. bunch of misfit criminal yeah. heroin addicts. Right, right. So uh, anyway, 33% uh, on that note, should we uh, go check out what Ebert had to say? Ebert uh, reviewed this film back in, on the uh, 9th of September in 1994. And gave it two and a half stars, which is, I guess, sort of a mild thumbs down uh, for Ebert. Um, <clears throat> he starts out with saying it must have been even more exhausting to make this film than it was to watch it. He says it's uh, made with the kind of maniac joy that makes me suspect that uh, Roger Avery uh, might develop into a considerable filmmaker, which didn't doesn't really seem to be the yeah, case. I don't know what he did, actually, to be honest. Uh, I, he doesn't have a long list of credits. I, I uh, didn't take a whole long time looking. I didn't notice anything there. Uh, some screenwriting work. And I think it may be uh, another couple of movies that uh, weren't big hits. Uh, <clears throat> he says, uh, talking about one of the producers, Quentin Tarantino, that uh, his projects have the trademark that the only way a guy meets a girl is if they're hookers. Yeah. But very nice hookers, of course. Right. Alluding to the true romance uh screenplay uh, that we visited in early show he says um zed and zoe make blissful love and zed supplies her with an orgasm of the likes uh, she has never had um another clue that this movie benefits from a certain post-adolescent male sexual idealism yeah see that's right. what I, I was kind of going at the fantasy of it but. and um but it's sort of you know sort of adolescent fantasy which is fine yeah. i mean you know yeah. look well, it's it nice for deep dick in a, uh, some lady you just met and giving her a mind-blowing orgasm yeah, right. never happened to me <laughs> <laughs> it always yeah. takes a lot more work than that but uh sure i mean it'd be fun yeah, let, let alone let alone a, a pre a parisian whore who looks like julie delpy i yeah, mean look so. if it happened i'd be cool with it i just know <laughs> it's not gonna happen um we need to go to paris then my friend (laughs) and take a little more than two hundred dollars yeah avery's screenplay is carefully constructed to isolate zed downstairs uh which is sort of an interesting though you can see sort of the machinations about that right uh during the filmmaking but i don't know it's a nice little way the where uh zed is kept in the dark when things really start to fall apart i think it's sort of an interesting bit of tension because you wonder when he's going to realize it um let me see here. He goes on to talk about Avery a bit. He says that um, 
this this movie looks exactly like the first feature of a guy who grew up devouring movies. And um, he says, if you think about Avery as a first-time filmmaker, which he is, that uh, you can see this movie is an action-packed bloodbath, mostly shot on few sets and with a low budget and hardworking actors. I have to feel it's a movie that probably had a pretty low budget, but it's pretty slick looking. Yeah, it has a, it has a nice style. I think I they do well the with it. I don't know what the budget was. Uh, do you ever look that up? No. But it's interesting because when I first watched it, I didn't have any sense that it wasn't authentically made in France, which doesn't make any sense really because there's no f- pictures of them on the streets of Paris at all in the whole movie other than uh Well, you tell they just meant to m- mounted a camera to a car. Yeah, to yeah. Get the French feel, which is probably a great way to save money. Probably didn't pay for a license to film. Right. Um, but he just hopes that uh, Avery realizes it's going to take more than kinetic action to uh, make a career, uh, which I guess uh, was uh, a little bit prescient. Well, to be f- he made a movie uh, in 2002 called Rules of Attraction. Yeah. That was, uh, I guess, based on the Brett Easton Ellis novel. Actually, it was pretty good. Pretty oh, good, I, I got to say. Yeah, no, it wasn't bad. Yeah. So anyway. I wonder why. Did this movie tank a little bit, maybe? I don't think it was a big earner. Yeah, uh, maybe it didn't blow up. They were maybe looking for another Tarantino. Yeah, you can't saturate. You couldn't saturate the market too much, or, or with that kind of thing, especially with something so similar to Tarantino's as this. About the ending of the movie, Ebert says that uh, it can only be justified in the heady atmosphere of a desperate story conference. <laughs> <laughs> the heady atmosphere of a desperate. Like, how do we wrap this fucker up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you yeah, sort of go yeah. with some sort of group think, you know, non-realistic right. BS. Right. Um, he goes to make a quote uh, here. He takes a quote from Avery himself where he says, as you said earlier, Zoe means life in Latin. So the title of the moody movie can be interpreted as killing life. And this is the director himself saying that. A little pretentious. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he says that Eric can be likened to the Reagan Bush years. They kept everybody happy through hysteria. Wow, that's a little bit, uh, I think Ebert's uh, reaching. That's not Ebert. That's Avery. That's a quote from Avery. Avery said that? Yeah. He says, Avery is quoted, Eric can be likened to the Reagan-Bush years. They kept everybody happy through hysteria. As I said. Ebert goes on to agree with him (laughs) that, uh, that Avery's filmmaking style owes more than a little to the methods he attributed to Reagan and Bush. As I said, this movie doesn't have any metaphor to it because that's utter bullshit. <laughs> and here's an interesting reference. I don't know if you did you mention CompuServe earlier in this podcast. I meant I mentioned Prodigy. Prodigy. Uh, a CompuServe uh, was a similar competing. I think so. I, I don't even remember. Amazingly enough, the last paragraph of this review, Ebert. And you remember this is '94 when it's all dial right. up 56k. Right. He says that he was surfing the messages on CompuServe <laughs> in the Showbiz forum. And he found one listing that said, live in L.A., and the message was, be sure to see Killing Zoe. It's a terrific movie. And that by message Roger was posted Avery. by Roger Avery. And he said, I like the I like the cut of that kid's jib. Wouldn't it be awesome that's all the online promotion you would need anymore? Is, is if you just narrowed the uh, internet pipe to a few message boards. Like a billboard, like a BBS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that into. It's like the Showbiz uh, Forum on CompuServe. It's, it's going on the Showbiz Forum. My movie news. 
all right, you know, oh, hey, this one looks good. I live in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, that, I thought that was really weird. What a weird uh, confluence of our podcast in the Ebert's Review from 94. It's always interesting. See, God, how crazy, how much change there's been in the last, oh, I got, fuck, it's almost been 20 years. Uh, it has been almost 20 years. Oh, it's been, my fucking uh, God. It had, this movie was about 20 years ago. That's yeah. uh Holy crap. Man, that makes me – it's like if I was listening to some 40-year-old guy when I was in, like at 90 – in 93 talking about a movie that was made when I was born, you know, like uh, going on about how awesome uh, Michael Caine was in uh, Get Carter or something like that. It kind of dates the the era. It's just weird to think about, like that I'm an old man and that uh, I would try to – uh, you know, if I was with a, a 20 something, it's like, Hey, have you seen killing Zoe? It's a good movie, you know? And they watch it and it would be just so dated. They'd be like, I don't know, man, it's just a little too old for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if that's really the case. I, I mean, it's fun to say that, but I think just like movies from the seventies look really fresh and some movies from earlier look fresh to us. Yeah. I think that, you know, from the seventies on filmmaking was pretty mature. And uh, that, true. You sort of lose some of that datedness. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Although I'm sure the kids know who Ron Jeremy is today. I'd hope. You know. Well, they're buying his spiced rum. Exactly. I mean, everybody's drinking. All the all the high school kids are drinking it. Right. They probably know who John Holmes is. I mean, that's probably. I don't think they know who John Holmes is. Uh, that guy died of AIDS a long time ago. Just like Eric. Yeah. All right. On that note, <laughs> so next week we're going to be doing our hundredth show spectacular. We are. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Did we figure this out? I don't think we, we haven't figured it out. So we're just we're gonna we don't have a movie. I oh guess, my is god! The, the short of it, we don't have a movie for next week. But uh, I think we're going to be doing a bonus episode of uh, the cult of Matt and Mark. And I don't know what the focal point of the conversation will be. Uh, we may have to bounce some topics off one another to uh, see uh, what might be appropriate. Uh, I think we should see in an hour of recording who can say um the most times. <laughs> this could be a drinking game. Every every time uh, uh, Matt says um, you drink some of Ron Jeremy's spiced rum. And every time I say um, you drink some Cabo Wabo. So... Is our ums that bad? I haven't been paying attention. Um, me neither. Stand out? <laughs> I think I think in a way we sort of leveled out our you knows and ums and hmm. Have we matured? I'm wondering. Uh, we matured. Either we've matured or I've stopped caring as much about it. I don't. I, I think caring. I've I've gained an appreciation for the natural cadence. Well, I used to listen to our earlier podcasts, and I used to really focus on the awkwardness it's listening to yourself listening to yourself is always hard because your voice sounds weird for starters it doesn't sound like you when you're talking but uh, listening to it and i remember getting really annoyed with myself on those earlier podcasts just cringing and that kind of thing i don't cringe anymore so maybe i've met myself halfway maybe i'm still annoying but i've acclimatized to how annoying i am and maybe i've improved a little bit i don't know well I think, in a way, we've learned to af- appreciate some of our uh, vocal interjections. And by doing that, I see these vocal interjections in many professional uh, people who speak for a living. Even on uh, network television or on cable television like CNN, there'll be some interjections. And that's even with them reading off a prompter. Certainly, there's a certain pacing, especially with 
the comedians who are good at podcasting where they keep things lively and they have a lot of tricks and they're fast on their feet and they, they see jokes and callbacks really readily. And that makes for uh, something that's, I think, quite a bit more uh, drawing of an audience than our podcast is. Right. Uh, but um, in a way, the actual manner of speaking, I don't think it's as important that you remove all ums and you knows and likes. Well, and we can't. We don't have that kind of time. Well, nobody does. <laughs> Professionals don't do it. Yeah, exactly. So right. it's not. it doesn't really matter that much. And I think that's right. sort of a learning process. And that was one of the things I wanted to become comfortable with. One of my goals with the podcast was to be a little more comfortable with my own speaking. So I'm going to throw something out just thinking uh, on my feet, trying to trying to think quickly. We'll, how about this, Mark? You can agree or, or that was you some, can that agree was some good it. interjection while you're, the wheels turned in your mind to put the sentences together. <laughs> can agree to it or not? Uh, our listeners, whoever they may be, there's not a lot of them. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to quote the numbers because I don't want to uh, make us seem uh, more pathetic than, than people might think we are. Uh, send us via email, cultfilmreview at gmail.com, a topic. And the topic could be anything. Uh, and Mark and I will talk about that topic. What do you think about that? That's a great idea. If we get a couple of actual suggestions, that sounds like fun. Yeah. I, it could even be one or two. So if you're out there, listeners, if you listen to us weekly, uh, let's see. Uh, I don't know when we're going to do our next podcast. We've been pretty late in doing it. But it's uh, December 15th now. So in the next six days, if you – well, I don't know when we're going to get this podcast out. kind of depends on Mark. Uh, maybe it will be the 16th or the 17th when this finally Okay, enough passive-aggressive comments. Yeah, so we will talk about any topic. You can even ask us a personal question, and we'll give it lip service, uh, film-related or not. We will uh, talk about it. So what do you think? You going to buy into that? Sounds great. I'll send you some suggestions. <laughs> How about this Heisman Trophy controversy? Let's get into it. Have Let's you get into a, rape accusations. Have you ever had a gay experience, and can you talk about it? I don't know. Uh, are we gonna? Maybe we should do an AMA on Reddit. <laughs> you just, uh, I, I know what Reddit is, but what's an AMA? I'll make a burner account and request an AMA for the cult of Matt and Mark. An AMA okay. is an ask me anything. Various uh, stars of note or people that have interesting experiences in life will go in and basically open themselves up. The the rule is you have to answer every question. Oh, okay. So will this be like a, a, a an AMA or ANA? Yeah, basically AMA. it's an AMA on okay. our podcast. All right. Yeah. So send in a uh, email to what, what email address is that? Cultfilmreview at gmail dot com. Ooh, Gmail. I know. I, I couldn't even. We're not that tactful to 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 get our own like website. That's that's like send it to Matt at cultfilmreview dot com. We we don't have that kind of. Uh, There's talent. some big podcasts that you know do uh, the same thing with the website. We're on like Blogspot, right? You know, uh, to 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 kind of rag on uh, acquaintances of mine, they have been hyping their podcast for I don't know three or four months. Who? Uh, Friends of Rose. Uh, they do a podcast. Wanna... Well, yeah. Well, they about it. no. They just they just put out their first episode. Oh, like this. Uh, What's the subject matter? Uh, kind of geek culture, sci-fi, fantasy. From what I can tell, yeah, I'm doing the whole nerdist thing. Good idea. Well, it's sort of fanboy stuff. 
And uh, when I when I tuned into it, they were talking about George R. R. Martin and uh, oh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, who's that? Songs Neil of Ice and Fire and Wind. Yeah, right. and some Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> the songs of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Now, that seems like there might have been something from the 60s that had something to do with that. Oh, my it's God. A, is that where George R.R. R. Martin got his inspiration? He's a total rip-off artist. Yeah, he's ripping off the funk, the funk, the funk from uh, the late 70s. Anyway, so I, I, their cadence is good. I think they got – they're not doing the uh, – uh, it's not, it doesn't sound, it sounds like they've kind of honed their conversation, but the website, like I went onto it and I'm like expecting a podcast website. So I click onto it and they don't have an RSS feed. They just have, uh, like a website and then it has an embedded flash player in it. And it's like, okay, how do I download the MP3? And I'm like, right clicking on everything. And I'm like, there's no fucking way to download the MP3. And I clicking through stuff and they have all kinds of crazy uh, pages that are, that they're redirecting me to that they've made. And I'm like, I can't, where's this like serialized blog podcast thing that we're all very used to. Couldn't find it. And so it's like Rose and I don't, I'm not Facebook friends with them, but I'm like, Rose, can you tell them like where on iTunes I can get their their fucking podcast. <laughs> she, I am dumb. And they were like, Oh, um, we're still waiting for iTunes submittal. So if you don't have your podcast on iTunes, you're not a fucking podcast. In my opinion, I'm just saying it, wow, it doesn't man, seem that's tough. They have one podcast out and you're ragging on them already. No, but they've been like doing this for like, they have four podcasts and they've been, I don't know, editing them for the past three months or something. I, Anyway. I don't know, man. He who cast the first stone. No, I'm casting stone. He I, who is without okay, podcast sin. Well, no, here's the thing. They're Carnegie Mellon graduates. Come on. Like the preeminent I, I don't even know where Carnegie Mellon is. It's in, it's in Pittsburgh. It's like the preeminent seaside. Who would the fuck would want to go to Pittsburgh? What a dump. Well, my wife uh, graduated from. Oh, shit. <laughs> Not the university, but the town. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It has hills. That's yeah. a lot. I have a, and pits. I, I would guess <laughs> pits, pits and hills. I don't know. I I I'd, I'd give it its day in court compared to other midwestern, eastern seaborne towns. If it has hills of any kind, it gets a plus in my mm. book. Yeah, well, see me. Long I'm ragging on Pittsburgh, and I don't know anything about it. Uh, all right, so I was telling. We should Rose, change this like, uh, podcast to a couple of assholes talking about shit they don't know. <laughs> so I was telling Rose, I was like. Why the fuck don't they have a working podcast if, if you know, and her whole thing was, is that since they're like Carnegie Mellon people, they don't, they don't feel like they need to use the simple tools that uh, Google has put out there to create podcasts. They want to do their own web page, do their own RSS feed. Like oh, create okay. the whole feed thing themselves, which, which is great if you get it to work, but it's not fucking working. And I just couldn't, it boggled my mind because we're a bunch of couple of amateurs and we managed to get, I don't know, up to like a hundred podcasts out. I have no barely. idea how to post a podcast. I've never posted See, one of these. I know. That's, that's, that's our division. All labor. I do is edit it. I, I do all the work and uh, yeah, editing is a lot of work though. Publishing, I've gotten it down. I can all do right. it pretty quickly now. Yeah, editing still at least... Bare minimum an hour if I do a real slapdash yeah. job. So I was just, I was just like, I couldn't believe it. I was beside myself. It's like you can't be a fucking podcast until you're on iTunes. What the fuck? Well, that makes so me was, sick inside. Does get your shit together, people, before you think you can do a 
podcast. All right, it is late, and i got to get up for work. So uh, I think we're done until next week. Now we do heroin.